0: Grab your Bibles and let's go back to the book of Romans and uh, resume our study there. We are ready to move on here uh, to um, verse 31. But before I read 31, what I want to do is go back and read uh, beginning at 28, and I and I hope you'll understand why I, I do that in just a minute. But let me um, let me let me read beginning at um, 28. And I'm going, to read through, um, I'm going to read through 36. We're just going to cover 31 tonight, but I, you'll understand. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, guys, I read um, that little section because I wanted you to get a taste of what Paul is up to in this section. Uh, If you will notice, in verse 31, he begins with a question. Um, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, um, I wanted you to notice that there's a series of questions here. There's about four or maybe five questions that he asks in this section, and then, of course, closes it out with this great summary statement that you all know and love, I think, verses 38 and 39. But uh, beginning at verse 31, before he gets to 38 and 39, he asks a series of questions. Um, and he opens, notice the question as he begins in 31. What then shall we say to these things? Now, guys, I want you to notice something um, because I'm going to make a point about it just a second, but this is a Pauline. This is a piece of Pauline style. For instance, uh, Romans 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Chapter 6, verse 15. What then? Chapter 9, verse 14. What shall we say then? So, what I've done is showed you four other places, including uh, Romans 8. We have five places where where Paul's approach is to begin by saying, okay, what do you say to that? Um, What's your response to this? What are the conclusions to which we may come as a result of something that you've just heard? Guys, uh, in verse 31, Paul is asking you to work out the implications of what he has just taught you, what he has just said. He has said some very incredible things in verses 28, 29, and 30. Now, having said, actually, he said a bunch of incredible things throughout the whole of uh, Romans 8. But um, the, the immediate context is 28, 29, 30, where he has said some wonderfully rich things. And then, having completed that, uh, that propositional statement, he, he pauses and, in pure Pauline style, he says, What shall we say then? And by his so doing, he is asking you. To, to work through, work out the implications of what he has just taught. What is the inferences that we can draw from what we've just been taught? Uh, and not only are what are the inferences, but what is to be our response now, guys, I, I want to take a, a, a couple of minutes to say a few things as a result of, of just that piece of introduction. Because um, to me, this is Paul at his best. Um, if you know anything about the history of Paul, he'll tell you all about his history in Philippians chapter 3 if you want to go read it. But he was trained in some very fine rabbinic schools. Paul was a very bright boy. Um, for instance, Paul's Greek is different than anybody else's Greek in the New Testament. Uh, if you wanted to compare the Greek, say, of the Gospel of John with the Greek of uh, the uh, Epistle of Romans, you're going to find a vast difference. Because John will say things like, I am the door. You know? Very simple Greek construction. But when you come to Paul, sometimes his sentences are you know 47 words long and 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 he will he will create words he'll invent words he'll make words up he'll put a, a participle uh, next to another participle and and he just does things that are that are really challenging for a, a, a greek linguist but he's he's so much more challenging because he's so brilliant and guys what you're seeing here is the Apostle Paul engaged in a relentless, intense piece of logic. Guys, what Paul is offering you is a very systematically reasoned argument. And then he expects you to grasp that argument and then think through its implications and your response to it. Um, folks, if nobody has ever told you this before, may I be the first. Christianity is a thinking man's religion. It asks you to think. Think. And to do some very difficult thinking. Now, guys, I'm I'm somewhat exercised about this, and I'm going to tell you why in just a second. But um, sometimes I think we have forgotten the reason we come to church. I mean, um, were you raised in the church? I was raised in the church, but didn't become a Christian until I was 22. And so we, we went to church. Did you go to church? We went to church. What did we do at church? I don't have the slightest idea what we did. But we went to church. Uh, what they say? I don't know what to say to church, but we went to church. You know, um, did you go to church today? Yeah, we went to church today. It was Sunday. Did y'all go to, y'all going to church Sunday? Yeah, we're going to church Sunday. But what is church, for heaven's sakes? What are y'all doing over there? Y'all handing snakes? What are you doing there? Guys, do you understand That when we get together, we take this book, we set it before us, we try to understand what it says. And then we think through its implications and our responses to it. Do you understand that? And that requires... That you be at your absolute best. Guys, you cannot sit and and write your grocery list. Or or, or No, you can. You can. But don't expect anything to come of that. What you did is you went to church. You went to a physical plant that's called a church and you attended for an hour or so. But the thing that was going on there... It missed you, or you missed it. Because this is supposed to grab hold of what you're thinking, and then you're supposed to, with relentless, intense, logical, sequential reasoning, argumentation, draw some conclusions and change your life in response there, too. Do you know that? And that's why we're here. Guys, the reason I, I, I say all this, actually because I think this verse 31 gives me a, an opportunity to say it, but, you know, guys, um, I um, I don't do a whole lot of counseling and, um, and uh, people who come to me for counseling are desperate people. <laughs> they called all their their good friends, and they asked for everybody else on the staff, but everybody else was busy, and so they got stuck with me. Um, I've never claimed to be an, a, an expert counselor, and very frankly, if you've got real issues, you probably ought to see somebody that's really far brighter than I am. Um, but the thing that I, uh, if, I'm, if I do counseling, and the one place that that I feel fairly comfortable in engaging in that is over the issue of marriage now I didn't say parenting <laughs> did everybody hear that I don't feel comfortable over the parenting thing but I feel comfortable over the marriage thing and I I I don't mind walking through people's difficulties in marriage and so normally when I'm engaged in counseling that's what I'm engaged in talking to people about you know family husband wife stuff. And um almost <laughs> I want to say almost invariably, but that's an overstatement, and I'm given to overstatement. Um, but very frequently, very frequently, I'll be engaged in this intense piece of marital stuff. And and somebody the husband or the wife, or usually the wife, because we're y'all are more prone to cry than we are. But, you know, the, the the wives in the midst of this tough stuff, in the midst of her tears, will look at me and she will say, But, but nobody has ever told me this before. And I want to say at that moment, would you like to see my preaching schedule? I've been saying this for 15 years. I I preach about marriage more frequently than any preacher I know. I preach about it every year. I have a series every year. I did just last year. I did a series from Mother's Day to Father's Day. And the year before that, I did a whole thing in the summertime. I preach something on marriage every year. I've been talking about masculinity, femininity. I've been talking about the husband's role, the wife's role. I've been talking about this for 15 years. How can you sit in my office and say to me, Nobody ever told me this before. I don't get it. Yes, I did tell you this before. I've told it to you a half a dozen times. You know what the issue was? She was making her grocery list while I was telling her. Guys, do you understand why we do this? Do you understand why we tote our Bibles on Sunday mornings and while we sit them next to us, and when I say turn to a passage, and we read it together, do you understand what we're up to? This ain't church. I don't know what you're used to in the past. I know what I was used to in the past. But it was utterly mindless. In fact, I would sit there, and you, everybody... You know, they at least face forward. <laughs> they don't turn their backs to me. But I know how to do that. You know, I, you know, I was singing these songs just a minute ago. And I can sing those songs and not know one word I'm, I'm singing. But I can, can read, I, my mind can you know, be on who's playing in the SEC tournament this week. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Paul, after he has taught this glorious piece of information about God's great determination to save His people and nothing will deter Him from that. Him He foreknew, them He predestined. And then He predestined, then He justified. And then He justified, then He also glorified. What then will you say to that? that 's what the Apostle Paul does do you see what he's doing he's asking you to think through the implications of what he taught you do you know that's the goal do do, you, do, you, do we have that squarely in the forefront guys we're not here to to prepare for a weekend tournament of Bible trivia. We're here to ask this question What then shall we say to these things? You are being asked every time to think through the implications and your response to those things. Guys, to not do that is to go to church. And it's to leave us completely unchanged. We are dealing with a book that has as its author the God of all the universe and has gone to great extremes to commit his mind to black words on a white page. And now we're engaging those words. And the only response allowed is, what shall we say then? What shall we say then to these things? Because, guys, this this is... I I don't know what they do in Islam. I know a little bit more about what they do in Hinduism. (laughs) Just a little... But I know what Christianity is. And Christianity is a rational religion. That if it has not grabbed your mind, then you've wasted your time. And and so we who try to teach this thing try to do everything that we can to keep you with us. So that you won't do your grocery list. But a lot of times it doesn't make any difference if I was to stand up here buck naked you'd still be doing your grocery list. Um, it, 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 It involves, it demands that you bite in. And then at the end of what you've heard, you say, okay, first of all, was that the truth? Did he get it right? I mean, is he telling me something true? Okay, if that's the truth, what then shall I say to this? What will be my response to this? Because that's what, that's, what, that's what Christianity is. I don't know what the others are, but that's what Christianity is. It is a rational, as opposed to a, um, a mindless thing, Christianity is a thinking man's religion. And what you're seeing in the Apostle Paul here is logic on fire. What he does is that he, in a, through a series of questions, he seeks to preclude every concern that you may have in the face of what he just taught you. And, and I'm going to show you the first one tonight, or at least I hope I am. Um, I'll show you the first one tonight. But you, he has taught us something life-changing. Those he foreknew, them he predestined. Then He predestined, then He also called. Then He called, then He also justified. Then He justified then those He also glorified. He's just taught us that. Now, if God be for you, who can be against you? You see, okay, if that's true, the first thing that I need to do learn from that is that God is my ally. If God before you, or since God before you, what does all other opposition matter? All other opposition is not going to change the ultimate conclusion. Because why? Because God foreknew, He predestined, He called, He justified, and He glorified. So, this God who has done this to to make certain my ultimate destiny is my ally. This God who is the judge of all the earth. He's satisfied. So, there's nothing. There's no adversary that can prevent this from happening. Now, guys. Guys. That doesn't mean that there's no adversaries. It just means there's no adversaries that can prevent this from happening. (laughs) This God is my ally. Um, So if, if God is then my ally, there's one thing that really ought to be eliminated pretty darn quick. You know what that is? Fear. There's no devil. There's no arrangement of mankind. There's not enough sin in my flesh to prevent this from taking place. So, forget your fear. Now listen to me, listen. If you are, I'm gonna say I'll use this this is kind of a harsh word, if you are guilty of fear, you're not thinking. You're not reasoning through, you're not coming, you're not drawing the implications. Of the great truth that Paul has taught you. You're guilty. You're just feeling these overwhelming sense of guilt pangs. Because you did this terrible thing. If you're wrestling with your own guilt. You're not thinking. You're not thinking. Because if God before you. Who can stop that? If God is your ally, if God be for you, then who can be against you? It doesn't matter who's against you. Um, very frankly, there is no substantial against. There's nothing against me that is substantial. There's nothing against me that is going to change the outcome. And so, you know, um, I, I, I did a whole lot more of this when I was, um, when I was a younger Christian to my shame. Um, but I was engaged in a whole lot more um, just personal evangelism visits as, an early, as a young Christian as, than I am now. But one of the things that I would hear quite often when I would tell somebody about, you know, salvation is, is via a gift. Have you received the gift of eternal life? Uh, it's not based on your works. And, um, uh, it's based on a free gift of God that is yours because of the finished work of Christ. And So I would share all that and somebody would look at me and they'd say, this is wonderful, but I'm not sure I can keep this up all the way to the end. Now, of course, that means that you didn't understand what I just said, that is, in terms of the gospel. But guys, if do you as a believer ever wonder are you gonna make it to the end or are you gonna blow it? You know, just, just get so disgusted with this whole shooting match that I just throw in the towel. That ain't gonna happen. There is no adversary. There is no opposition. There is no against, whatever that is, whatever you're concerned about, there is none of that that can successfully stop God from what he started in you. God's for you. He's your ally. Then who, what does it matter who's against you? Now, now I shouldn't, I don't want to minimize that, guys, because there's, I mean, the devil is quite a foe. And he can really cause some trouble, can he Not. My own flesh is a problem. It can really cause some trouble, can it not? I'm not saying that there's no adversaries. I'm just saying that the adversaries cannot change the ultimate result because God's my ally. Now, let me let me say a couple of quick things, and I'll go. There's just several texts I wanted you to see. Maybe we'll come back and do some of these next week. But guys, if God before us. Let me make sure you understand this. There's only one one group of people for whom God is an ally. He is not an ally of everybody. He is an ally of those who name the name of Jesus Christ as their only hope of any kind of life after death. That is, those who are trusting in Jesus Christ's finished work and that alone. He is our ally. Now, but that cannot be uh, then, what's um, my word? It cannot be then transferred to all of humanity. He is an ally. He is an ally to those who have laid hold of his son. Now, um, let, let me just give you, a, do you remember this? We won't even turn. It's Genesis 15, 1. Do you remember, I don't know whether you remember the, the, the historical setting, but uh, Abraham is now left to the the land of the idols, and now he's moving over. and He's obeying God and all his business, and and his nephew Lot just got in trouble. And that's in chapter fourteen, and and uh, uh, he got dragged off with the other kings and to the wherever they were going, and and so Abraham gets his army together and goes gets his nephew Lot. You remember that? That's in fourteen chapter fourteen, and then um, um the the next chapter, chapter fifteen, after after. Abraham has done this wonderful act of redemption, uh, uh, deliverance for his nephew, Lot. It, um, the, the next chapter opens this way. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. You know, here's Abraham thinking, well, golly, gee, I just uh, just wiped off the face of the planet, about three or four kings here in this territory, and you know what, there's ten or twelve more that are going to uh, you know, pursue an alliance, and they're going to come after me, and I'm going to be in big trouble. <laughs> and God says, after these things, after those battles to get Lot back, God comes to him and says, fear not, Abraham. I'm your shield. Fear not. The Bible is Full of that guys but there is no amount of armies that can stop God from doing what he's, what he's determined to do with you so if you fear it's because you're not thinking you don't know what Paul just taught you or you don't believe it or you know something maybe you're making your grocery list I don't know what the problem is but guys our fear is the result of of our not thinking. Because if we draw out, if we suck out all of the implications of this grand piece of truth here, then one thing's got to (laughs) go. Fear. Um, The Lord is my light and my salvation. What's the next line? Whom shall I fear? The Lord's my ally! Whom shall I fear now let me tell you one quick story and i'm done um, you might want to see this one if you can just find second kings real quick um, it's a it's a an event out of the life of elisha you know there was Elijah and elisha uh, Elijah was the first one and he was the bad dude um, that messed or that tangled with Ahab and jezebel and and um, uh, he's the one that Fought all the prophets of Baal up on Mount Carmel and all that business. But after Elijah dies, his replacement is a guy by the name of Elisha. So don't get those two guys mixed up. And um, Elisha was a pretty impressive character himself. But um, Elisha had a um, had a sidekick, and I thought he was named, but I don't see his name in there. His name was Gehazi. It's in, I'm in 2 Kings 6. Um, and... Um, Uh, The nation of Syria, uh, Syria was messing with Israel. And so um, Elisha, this is in 2 Kings 6 beginning at verse, there it is, 8. Um, So um, the king of Syria kept bringing his army down and so he would be coming down this way and Elisha would communicate with the king of Israel, hey, don't go over there because that's where the army of Syria is, don't do that. And so, you know, the army of Israel would go this way because the Syrians are going that way. And so it, it, it happened three or four times. And the, and the king of Syria just gets all frustrated and says, who's, who's squealing in the camp here? And somebody comes to the king of Syria and says, it's not anybody in our camp. It's Elisha. It's Elisha, <laughs> that prophet over in Israel. He's telling the king of Israel all every move we make. So the king of Syria says, okay, let's go get him. We're going to get that boy. Uh, We've got to to take care of Elisha because he's really ruining our military campaigns here. So they they put the army together. And um, this is verse 11. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said, will you not show me who is for the king of Israel? And so they've got it all worked out now. They know what the problem is. And then verse 15. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the next morning. That guy's name is Gehazi. I think that's right. <laughs> when the servant of the man of God, that is the servant of Elisha, rose early the next morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. Oh, no. The, um, uh, by the way, he lives in Dothan. That is, that's up in verse 13. Uh, Elisha lives in Dothan. So the Syrian army has encircled Dothan. And so, you know, Gehazi gets up in the morning, heads out to get the newspaper, and, and uh, he looks up, and there surrounding the city is the army of Syria. Um, and verse 15, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? I mean, we're in, we're in tall weeds here, Elisha. I mean, I told you not to be telling the king of Israel all this stuff, but you went ahead and did it, and now look what you got us do. And um, verse 16, he said, that is, Elisha says, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw. And uh, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. we got a room full of Gehazi's. And they're quaking in their boots. What are we going to do about this culture of ours? They're closing in on us. They're telling us that we shouldn't talk about creationism. They better. They, we can't talk about men the absolute truth. We gotta, we gotta be careful around this culture. They're surrounding us. Don't you be afraid. The ones who are on our side are far more than ones on their side. Oh, that God would open the eyes of his people to simply see that you have an ally. And if he be for (laughs) you, who gives a flip who's against you? Our Father, I do pray that you will stir the minds and hearts of your people, that they might not... um, miss the precious direction of this promise to us that you have committed yourself uh, to be our ally. And if if that is true, um, forgive us that we have been uh, so guilty, all of us, so guilty of uh, quaking in our boots over... Who knows what all we're afraid of. And I pray, oh God, that that the sweet logic of the Apostle Paul might find its way deep into the souls of your people. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, and good night.